Let's enjoy a few minutes of silence and stillness as we gather. Those of you who have uh, had the opportunity to engage in uh, many of the retreats that maybe Donna and I have led or with uh, Trudy or various other people here who have um, had the pleasure of training at Hakomi. I see John and Catherine and other folks. Uh, we would often say, let's sit in, in loving presence together. <clears throat> and that uh, just simple, warm, uh, mindful, attentive state of, of offering ourselves and receiving each other without a particular agenda, just embodiment, uh, which is another way of saying sitting zazen together. If you're interested or willing, without sort of mobilizing into a place of effort, could you simply allow whatever goodness that you're holding in your own heart and mind and body to flow toward your friends that you see on the screen or those that you don't see? Just allowing your heart to open. And whatever goodness you might see or feel to receive it from others. <clears throat> Without a story or any particular narrative or leaning, just spacious opening for care. But with a very natural kind of common intention of shared kindness. just as your natural animal body very gently and without effort radiates warmth because of your mammal nature warmth is emanating from your body so could care 
and kindness. And were we close physically, and a few of you I see on screen are close, you could feel that and receive that warmth. But even through this medium, we've learned we can receive it. And a boundless sharing of kindness and care. While everything else moves around us, of course. Just in these last few moments, if your eyes are closed, you might let them open, even just for a second, it doesn't have to be long, just to see that there are people, these people with you, opening their hearts, receiving your presence. But this is real. It's not a fantasy, it's not an idea. And then just sit with that for a moment. So the, the world is full of everything that we know, everything, but it's also full of this, this beautiful, boundless uh, kindness and care that weaves its way through everything and we can express it and feel it if we're not too caught in the self-centered dream 
only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts together, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. To keep you on your toes, depends on which order we go. <laughs> Back in October, um, I led a retreat um, for the Awakening Together Sangha in the, the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And the, the title that they landed on uh, was Finding Our Way Home walking the bodhisattva path when our world is spinning. It's quite a creative title, and some of you might have participated in that retreat. Um, but there, there are aspects of it which, <clears throat> if you were in that retreat, this, there may be some, some echo here, but I wanted to speak about this, um, this way of, of uh, coming home, finding our way home, uh, from our various points of reference and various um, points of view within our, our sanghas because there's, I think there's something important happening these days. Um, and it's easy to think about these things from the outside, about the whole world is spinning. I mean, my gosh, there's so much happening. That's, that's easy. But what about our own lives and our own communities too? Because when we're confronted by these um, circumstances which we're not choosing you know our normal patterns and rhythms of life are, are really disrupted and we're all quite familiar with this right now and these disruptions are pretty disorienting but at the very same time if we're practicing they provide an opportunity to notice how we respond to change they're um, invitations, their, their probes, their dharma gathers, something that says, okay, oh, this is how I respond. And, and we can see what's um, actually guiding our decisions and our actions by the way that we've organized ourselves. We learn about ourselves. We see who we are. And as we shift our attention in this way from just reacting to what's out there to the sort of self-reflection and discovery and with each other, we discover that what we might ordinarily call problems are these profound opportunities for practice, for, for growth, for maturity, for insight, for awareness and wakefulness. And in our practice, we ask a particular question, how does a bodhisattva make this kind of turn to meet these kind of practice opportunities in the most wholesome manner? And we know that at Appamata in Austin, um, on Sunday, there was um, a celebration for those who had completed the uh, precepts study program. And um, in doing so, they spoke about in a ceremonial way this bodhisattva path and the precepts that inform it. I'll say a few things about that later. So when we engage with an actual path that we've been given and with mindful attention, a, uh, a skill and, and training of our heart and mind, we're, <clears throat> we're not so easily pulled back into our old patterns of conditioning and habit. We will be, 
In fact, there's a famous phrase from Dogen, which so many of you have heard, that um, that ordinary people are pulled by karma, by their habits and their patterns. Uh, bodhisattvas are led by vow. Ordinary people are pulled around by karma. Bodhisattvas are led by vow. There's a idealistic quality to it, but there's a distinction that's really crucial. Because this um, the Bodhisattva vows invite us and encourage us to meet life as it is, which we just chanted, and calls us f uh, forward our, our most skillful response in each moment and to do our best, imperfect, stumbly best. And this kind of commitment to uh, awakening, to growing up and waking up, is made manifest when we take responsibility for our motivations, our reactions, and act with clarity and shared purpose. With clarity and shared purpose. With a little more clarity and shared purpose. Individual and collective. And once again, you know, you can see these things in the, in the outside world, but there's something I want to just speak to today, which has to do with this, uh, how this is met with the developmental stages of <clears throat> our, our various sanghas. Uh, because there are these kind of, uh, the sense that the world is spinning within each of these communities, too. Uh, many of you have heard the little story that I tell of a moment uh, when I was um, being so uh, gracefully and skillfully guided by Margaret Keyes and doing my TEDx talk, and I wanted, I needed to have an opening for the talk, and I didn't have it till right toward the end. But anyway, what I what I said said to her when I was listening to other of the presenters on the uh, technical practice day, the day before talk, I said, well, gosh, my my message isn't about changing the world. Seems like theirs was. My message was about how to meet a world that never stops changing. And that's, and that's what we're really talking about here. So just for a moment, and if you'll indulge me for a moment, the, the Apamata Sangha in Austin, which was the home Sangha that, you know, Peg and I and others um, the Sangha all developed together. I'm going to, I'm going to speak about this like from, from like a family systems point of view. I'm like, I'm a, this is an older family with parents who are fading in a certain way and new leadership is stepping in to fill that space that the parents have held for a long time. And with it comes all the fears and hopes and longings and resentments and grief and creativity that it takes to continue without a clear matriarch and patriarch in charge. That's kind of a strong way to say it, but yeah, I see that look on your face, Sheila, when I said that. This is kind of how it goes, isn't it? And, it's, and there's a lot of challenges that are involved in that developmental stage. And it's a necessary one. And it's the one we're in. That's the world of spinning. At Open Doors in community in Madison. There's a lot of maturity in that Sangha. But it's finding its way into new territory. A new authority, new leadership, new forms. Asking the question like, who are we? Are we children of Apamata? Are we siblings with the other sanghas? Is, is it okay to do things on our own? It's sort of like a, a young adult, you know, who's stepping out. It's like, okay, how, um, now it's actually my life I see. The door's been opened to, but there's a lot of maturity there, a lot of beauty in, in that too, just like there is in the older sangha at Apamata. Of a similar age, but a different structure is, the, is it just this communities in the UK. Uh, it reminds me of being at my family reunion uh, in which, um, you know, in, in Texas, big family reunions out in the hill country. It's kind of a common thing. And each family has its own forms and its own norms and its own histories, but yet they're all woven together, too. 
And each of the sanghas in the UK has its own forms and its own norms and its own histories. But they're all, in some ways, the part of one thing. They grew up with each other. And they grew from and with each other. And they deeply care about each other. But what's going to be the way forward? And then that unexpressed questions at times, like who's in charge? What's guide, what guides us? Now the awakening together in the Twin Cities, these are, are, these are the younger kids. <laughs> this is the youngest family coming on into its own, you know, full of a lot of vitality and immense creativity. There's so much commitment there. And they do demonstrate a lot of discipline and energy that's needed to kind of fan the embers to create a sustainable and nourishing little fire, which is a great metaphor if you live in Minnesota, by the way, for the winter, <laughs> that they're, they're really, uh, there's a lot of energy out of that youthful, clear focus about what they're hoping to create, full of wisdom, full of compassion. And that's appropriate for that age. And then there's the cloud temple. All of you who don't feel like you fit in any one of those particularly. And I would say it also includes the very the worldwide distribution of the family from Huiholana here in Molokai. Maybe you don't feel like you're a part of an organized Sangha, yet you feel called to inquiry here. And what's offered now and then from the various sanghas, because now we can connect in this way. But you may be asking yourself, like, who are we? Do we have a home? Are we included? Are we valued? What do I have to offer? I've seen people uh, navigate this well. For example, like Rosemary, who in many ways hadn't been physically part of any of these, and yet connected to most of them. We see it in Claudine. Many people. There's a, there's a lot there. So I'm... I'm saying this because I think each of these individual families, which is part of the larger family, are in different stages of development. And this is the, the same question applies here, finding our way home. How do we find who we are, where we are? Because there are a lot of homes. And how do we wake up and grow up as communities, not just individuals? Well, I use that term, you know, growing up and waking up towards full maturity as a descriptor of what my teachings are about. But that's not just individual. That's all for, for our communities. And there's a couple of ways that's important for us to meet change, you know? Like there's resilient coping, important. That's on the everyday level. You want to have enough resilience to cope with God, everything that's coming along the path. And taking refuge is how we meet change on a spiritual level. On the everyday level, it's you know personal, resilient coping and connection, and then refuge. We live like a cloud in an endless sky, like a lotus in muddy water, one with the pure mind of Buddha, we say at the end of the, the Bodhisattva ceremony. We live in this larger space of freedom, always in the background, that love and care that we can feel with each other, but we're also in the mud, you know, Walking the Bodhisattva path in a world that never stops changing is what we're faced with. It's always changing. And our practice is offered to help us navigate this kind of world because there is no other kind of world. This is the only one. This one that doesn't stop changing. This one that is spinning. And the forms of our Zen practice is one way to walk down that path. And it's embodied, and it's relational, and it's only one form. It's not the only one that you can practice. But if you do practice this form, our form, no matter what level of maturity the Sangha is in, and whatever problems occur at each of those levels, because God knows there's many problems at each of those levels. And some of you were talking to me recently about the problems you're having in each of those levels of, of relationship and, and maturity. If you're going to walk this path, then here are some of the entry gates. Here are some of the gates that you can go through on that path. First one, essential one, is sitting. 
sitting. Zazen and meditation, and I make those separate. Meditation is the beautiful and wonderful yogic instrumental activity that you can do to help give you some benefits. Relax the body, quiet the mind. Many positive things come from active meditation. And zazen, which is not meditation. It's the expression of Buddha's living activity in silence and stillness, where you express and ceremonially celebrate your own Buddha nature and your upright posture. It's not an activity to get something. And you can do zazen, and you can do meditation alone, and you can do it together. Second gate, walking. That's the continuation of meditation and zazen in movement. Because eventually you have to get up off your cushion or your chair and step out into the world, don't you? So our walking meditation, or kinhin, is something we can do alone or together to take that next step. Another Dharma gate is chanting. We use our voices to express and receive the teachings with our voices and with our ears. Sometimes we say in Zen, we chant with our ears. We're making sound with our voice, but we're actually chanting with our ears because we want to listen to the others because we want to weave ourselves together. Another one is bowing. Uh, the profound embodied expression of humility, devotion, gratitude, and the willingness to embody the Buddha way. So we can sit, walk, chant, bow, study. Taking in the Dharma we've been given and then expressing it back in the world through our own forms, contemporary forms of deepening the Dharma and carrying it forward. And, and lastly, at least on my little list here, is relationships, spiritual friendship, a meeting with a teacher, all done between friends and teachers, but actually it's all beings. <laughs> There's many, many gates that we walk through. And the precepts are a guide to how to walk, how to sit, how to chant, how to bow, how to study how to be in relationship. And, and just that title, Finding Our Way Home, what orients us, what's the compass that says, oh, home is that way? That's the refuges. To fly home, to come home, refuge me. Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, our own true nature, the teachings, or the way the world really is in our relationships. They, they say, oh, okay, this is what I'm going to use to orient myself. And then walking the Bodhisattva path, the other part of the title, is, are the precepts. And the precepts, we find them in every ceremony in Zen, in lay ordination, in priest ordination, in Dharma transmission, in entrustment, in marriages, in funerals. Every ceremony includes the precepts because they're the foundation, they're guides. And so the reason I'm speaking about all this is because I want us to remember what our practice is. When we get caught in the things that say, I'm discouraged. I don't want to do this anymore. The song is not what it used to be. I don't know what we're doing. I can't believe this person is like that. You know, you know how this goes? Because when we get together as human beings, guess what we're going to have? A mess everything and beauty just like when you get married just like when you have a family it's that that kind of sense of this is the most wonderful thing that i can imagine and man is it complicated and difficult so that's why we need an orientation the refuges why we need the precepts why we need a dedicated effort over time to give things time to work with patience you know, in the Buddhist time, in the very beginning, <clears throat> he began to teach and ordain monks, and there were no bodhisattva precepts. There was no idea of a bodhisattva. There was no Buddhism. It was before all those words had 
come about and before any kind of structure had been given. Those things were later. He was just doing what he needed to do based on his practice and the people who saw his awakening and responded to it. And as he did, and as people came, because they could see there was something real happening, guess what happened? They were people. And it became a complicated mess. Difficulties arose. So guidelines were created a bit by bit to protect the community and to protect the practice of those who were practicing. And those eventually became the precepts. Now, you know, they had things from monasticism, from Hinduism, but that's comparative religion stuff. And I'm not going to go all through this. I'm just going to mention it um, here towards the end. In the um, early teachings of the Buddha from the Pali Canon, there's a place where the Buddha teaches about um, the refuges and the five gifts, he calls them. Sort of the, the basic five uh, precepts, you know, about not, not stealing, not lying, not intoxicating, not using sexuality. Um, can't remember the other one right now, but you know, just the, the basic kind of things. And it, and I'm going to give you an idea of the language. I'm not going to go all through it, but um, he says there are monks, these five gifts. He calls them gifts. Pristine, of long standing, traditional, ancient, unadulterated, and never before adulterated. What are the five gifts? And then he talks about not killing not uh, stealing, not misusing sexual conduct, all of that. And here's, here's one of the ways that he does it. He says, by abstaining from the destruction of life, we'll just use that one, the noble disciple gives, gives, gives. By abstaining from the destruction of life, the noble disciple gives to immeasurable beings freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression. By giving to immeasurable beings freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression, she herself will enjoy immeasurable freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression. This is the first of the great gifts. So this is interesting. On the Buddha's very first teachings, and he goes through each of the five basic precepts. Each one of them, he says, in doing so, you are giving you're not taking. You're not even vowing. You're giving to immeasurable beings. Freedom from, now think of our communities and think of our world right now. Fear, hostility, and oppression. Does that seem relevant? Yeah. This is giving immeasurable beings freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression. By giving to immeasurable beings, freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression, she herself will enjoy immeasurable freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression in the world, in her own families, in ourself, and in our Sangha. Because we feel fear, hostility, and oppression also sometimes in the Sangha. Sometimes unintended, it's just tangles that we get into. So I wanted to speak about these things today and to review uh, how our practice is applicable as each of us meets these developmental challenges. We're talking about it right here at, uh, in Hui Ho'olana. I, I gesture that way because it's down the hill. Um, what happens at this point as COVID has changed things, as the founders get older, as structures change, you know, everything is changing. How do we continue? Do we continue? What comes forward? What kind of fears and difficulties and challenges come forward? And how can we come together in a way that's wholesome to create something that's sustaining or to say goodbye to things that are leaving and to let them go? These are, these are our challenges. So let me know if there are things that are alive in your own practice, in your own relationships, in your own families and sanghas, that, that maybe our connection might, uh, might open up a little bit.
And if there are, if there's nothing that is compelling and we find ourselves sitting in silence, let that be enough and let ourselves open our hearts to each other in the same way that we give immeasurable benefit like we did in our original meditation today. Don't worry about having to fill the time. Be like a, a good uh, Quaker. Sit attentively. But when something's there, don't hold back. Come forward. We have Jay. There she is. It's always, yeah, it's always tricky because I never know with this Wi-Fi if I'm gonna get cut off when I put the camera on. Um, but <laughs> so many things, so many things, you know. Um, as you were saying, how to meet the world that never stops changing, and I just think uh, you you actually said something a few talks before that has stuck with me. Um, sun face Buddha, moon face Buddha, and it's, it's changing, but it's not changing because um, it's just uh, cyclical, right? Everything is cyclical. Uh, there's life and death and there's war and there's, you know, love and there's hate. And, uh, you know, since the beginning of time, right? The things that we experience, um, it may look different because of our time, but it's still the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like discrimination, regardless of what, you know, that's yeah. not a new phenomenon. But um, as we experience it in our time, we may feel that it's different. But so as the world changes, it's not changing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's this right? world, so, it's the world. Yes. And, you know, um, I don't know, there's a message that has been coming through for me um, over the last, uh, the work, like, on Mondays, um, Kim is doing the book, Light in the Darkness, and then on Wednesdays, Ellen's uh, Lojong, and what speaks to me is that, I may get a little bit emotional, but, um, please, <laughs> that this life, the path is like the universe is done in love because like even in um the light and the darkness last night the passages that we we read it talked about um psyche and the dreamer and there's a statement that um as we rise what seems to be error is actually serving us right that mm -hmm. everything is this life that I this is what it says to me this life that i'm living um it's out of love and it's my um projection and labeling of the experience that um that diminishes the the lesson right life is the lesson and it's my labeling that diminishes the beauty of that lesson and is to, and I guess to um, Laurie's intensive, you know, can I see beyond what I'm seeing? Is there more, how can I see more of what is, is I'm experiencing, right? So it's like being able to see that it's all done in love for me to, tap into my purest self like to get to you know so all my experiences is me rising <laughs> it's me rising but not realizing that I'm rising you know it's and so when I look back on all my life experiences and how it has brought me to this place I can actually this is I I can actually say thank you. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much it's, beauty in that. And it's just amazing. 
oh my God, to get to this place where I can, I can see it and be grateful for it because it has led me to this place. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it really is amazing and how I know that when the student is ready, the teacher appears because everything has lined up and uh, complemented each other so perfectly for me to get to this point. It's just, and I'm so um, grateful, you know, it's just grateful. <laughs> right. Jay, you just, you just did a, a beautiful job and so heartfelt and so personal of expressing the Dharma moving through you because you just were saying, oh, the first noble truth, this, it's always like this. It'll always be mm -hmm. like this. And yet, if I begin to wake up to how I respond to it, second noble truth, and find a way to contain it and work with it and find a path, I find myself in a place of joy and love and gratitude, even though all that is happening. And you're saying that also as a woman with a black body. Well, in this <laughs> culture, you can still say that and feel that. Yeah. <laughs> you know that that's possible. The world's like yeah. it is, but you know that that's possible and your heart can open with it. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you for your voice. Have Jessica next. Hi, Clint. There you are. Um, I, I just really wanted to say thank you for um, your Dharma talk today. Uh, really, really um, applicable for me. And um, just to to kind of name that I feel something shifting in me that feels really big. I'm, I feel in this liminal space. Um, and so to, he to hear your words, um, so important for this edge that I feel and I I, I don't feel um, sadness or a, it just it feels very peaceful I feel very peaceful about it and yet like unknown uh, so it feels um, just really important um, to to feel that contact from you and to um, to hear that this bigger it, I, I, I have a sense that there's something bigger. And so I just wanted to say thank you for, for addressing it. Thank you. It's, it's, and you're naming something that's crucial when you say there's, I can feel what's moving in me and I can feel the space, which I can't quite identify, but, but I know that there's something bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's often our job as a friend or a teacher to say, Yes, I get what you're experiencing. And that's not all. What you're experiencing isn't bad, wrong. It's just not all. And if there's something bigger, then there's some more possibility. Yeah. So that's only what the, uh, and it's what Jay was talking about. It's a greater possibility. As you rise into that place of love and also drop into the embodied reality of it and how is it going to be expressed. But what does a tug, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you want to run away, mm -hmm. and sometimes we want to fight, and sometimes we want to just put our head into the covers, <laughs> make it a little you know, kind of crude. But those, you know, and we'll do all of those things. But if we have um, relationships that matter, someone can meet us in all those places too, and say, "Yeah, now what are we going to do?" Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that feels really important to me today. Thank you. Good. And you're really important, all of you, to us. Thank you. Hi, Becky. Hi, Flint. Um, one of the thoughts that carried on for me after you talked about it this morning. Um, is the idea of there being various sanghas that are smaller family units. And one of the things I've been celebrating and very aware of has to do with the universal sangha. Mm -hmm. The 
part where, I mean, we have human looking sanghas, human being sanghas. Right. Uh, and, and yet the, the capacity to have connection needs that we be part of the universal sangha, whether or not, I mean, not just based on human being sangha, but, but all of the connection that happens in the, well, even, even the words we use for the human That's experiences. Right. I mean, We're immersed in it anyway. We are part of this one large living organism all the time anyway. Yeah, and, and, our, and our smaller sanghas are ways that we can make it personal and embodied and relational enough to work with that corner of the universe, which is the big sangha. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I've just been recently very inspired by the universal sangha, as well as the um, because because all. All people, no matter what they call what they're doing, all mm. people who are in loving connection and and care about and have something like the precepts mm -hmm. uh, in their um, moral compass, mm. uh, in their in their intent, um, they're they're all part of in a very direct. Well, yeah. and that's the, that's the Buddhist teachings that no one is left out. Yeah, we yeah. we practice with a small group of people to understand this universal thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a powerful thing that that has been wonderful to experience, mm -hmm. uh, and um, and it's beautiful then to see how how much bigger it is to feel that. Yeah. So, so that's part of what we're held in and what we contribute to and why even in our original meditation today i was trying really inviting you to really take a personal feeling for that gosh we're immersed in this universal thing and we live it out in this particularity and the universal way as we ascend as jay said you feel the love when you see the fabric of it all that holds it together but in the everyday Sometimes it looks like just a mess. You want to don't know what to do about. And both things are true at the same time. And our practice helps us bridge that. That's the, that's the bridge. So thank and, you. For and I think it's wonderful here in the Kautsendo to, mm -hmm. to have that opportunity of stretching our picture of who we are with yeah. and to, but to have it be real people that we can get to know over time has been just such a wonderful gift for all of us absolutely absolutely we've extended in ways we didn't anticipate we thought things were uh, falling apart something new emerged out of it which was incredible yeah, yeah. thank you thank you <laughs> i'll say from my own perspective as uh, uh, all of those sanghas that I reflected on in their various developmental stages as I was thinking about it anyway. Uh, I'm part of all of them. Some of you were part of this one, that one. Uh, and, and many of you have cross connections through the clouds and oh, and some of you physically. But I've been part of every one of those. Uh, and so I feel a, a pull here or a pull there or a um, in, in beautiful inspiration here, a, a disappointment, uh, a sadness there as I move with each of them, each Sangha in this uh, beautiful um, web of connection. And it's been quite a, quite a, quite a journey especially since I've stepped back physically so far from most of you, um, but stayed as in a heart connection as deep as I've ever felt with all of you. Um, it's an interesting, and uh, maybe since I'm not a parent, maybe it's like those of you who are parents and you watch your children who you love so much and want everything for, 
and you watch them do the things that you can't stop them from doing and having the problems that you can't stop them from having and can't protect them from difficulties uh, and you can encourage them and I think maybe I'm feeling that kind of thing these days as I watch the struggles and the beauty the whole thing but maybe the struggles have been on my mind more lately uh, I was when I was at Tassajara uh, one day I was sitting with a priest who was much more senior than me and had had much more many more years and different sanghas and leadership and we were sitting on the edge of the pool with the hot tub and talking about um, sanghas and he said yeah students you know, they come and they go mostly they go and he was feeling the sadness of what it takes to stay what it takes to uh, embody a uh, commitment that holds over time. Uh, and it's not insignificant, you know, and our job as teachers is to uh, to hang in there, to encourage. I don't want to be discouraging at all. I want to encourage, but also to speak uh, truthfully about what it actually takes uh, to continue. And for some of us, myself included, part of what it takes is to step back a little bit to take good care of myself so I can continue. Because this is the most important thing to me. And I want to be able to be available to assist you and to support you to do what I'm doing right now. Because I love it. And the only way I can do that is to take good care of myself. And so I would step back a little bit. Excellent. And thank you. Um, complicated topic. It um, is. There's a lot here. Um, and what I was wondering is, you know, because of our practice, I'm wondering if when there's conflict between folks, if maybe there's more of a hesitancy to come forward and, you know, bring this conflict open and let's have a chat. Let's mm -hmm. see if we can resolve it because maybe there's discomfort with, you know, uh, hurt, anger, whatever those things are. So that's what I was thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's part of why when folks come into our councils at Appamata, at least in Austin, we lead with um, the trainings on the right use of power um, that come out of Hakomi, but are associated with it because it has to do with roles and conflicts and communication and uh, because we know that those things are inevitably uh, inevitably going to come and as you know very well since you're clinically trained what happens when people arrive in situations in which conflict arises they're going to bring with them the style of conflict management that they had in their family and so we see those who avoid, those who attack, those who reframe, those who make nice, those who, you know, it's the whole thing. That's not a problem. That's just, that's, that's our practice. Um, but sometimes if we speak only about uh, the Dharma, um, what's possible in terms of freedom, we forget to talk about those things that are the everyday difficulties where all of that is meant to bear fruit. That's what it's all for, is to assist us in the relief of unnecessary suffering, to soften barriers to love, all the things we talk about. That's what it's for, exactly what you're... It's not just to feel good or to have some ideal of how one could live, that we need that out there as a bright, guiding light in the future but what does it mean right now when i'm hurt by what you said or i'm mad about something or i'm discouraged or disappointed in a teacher um, can we bring it forward because if we can't then our practice is not worth anything why bother if we don't have a way and then we have structures for example in certain sanghas for conflict resolution we have you know structural things that help us give us guidelines Um, but I just wanted to talk about sort of these uh, developmental issues and shadow elements that sometimes we don't talk about so much. Um, I'm wondering too if the fact that that we don't see each other 
the way at least you know the way you guys at least in austin and the, all the physical sagas used to see each other at least it was more of an opportunity maybe yeah. to raise something you know have go have a cup of coffee or something bring something up so um you know maybe that right use of power would be something that could help yeah. in general you know Absolutely. Well, now we have to make a little more effort because you have to make, uh, you know, can you see me on Zoom? Can you have a telephone? We have to make more effort instead of just have a cup of coffee or take a walk. But we can kind of do it. Um, and in a way, it elevates our um, this requirement. It says you have to be really intentional. And also because we're not in an embodied presence, it's easier to miss somebody, I think. Or, or to hide. Or to hide, you know, many, many things. It's like you said, your first statement was, this is a complex topic. And I just wanted to raise it so that we, because context is important. Context is really important. Yeah, it's really changed so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Rosemary. Hi, Chris. Hi. So something just came up in the last few minutes. Actually, it was a question that I've been wrestling with myself and didn't necessarily want to bring it up, but I thought it might be useful. And I was thinking about um, the difference between, I was thinking about a particular conflict that I have with a friend of mine who's a Buddhist. You know, we both know all the language. We both have practiced a long time. And I was thinking about the difference. So I, we both know enough to not do anything foolish or stupid, right? But then I was thinking about the, that I've been contemplating about a good enough response or a good enough um, way to approach this. And I was really aware as you and Rosemary were talking about that I was kind of avoiding the better response mm. because good enough seemed to some parts of me good enough but I know that we can do better and I know that I can do better. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of aware of, of an aspect of myself, of fooling myself, you know, that good enough is, is good enough. Yeah. Because it's not mean, it's not cruel, it's not, you know, but that there can actually be a higher level of loving. That's, that's right. That's, that's really important to speak to. It's, and um, when you said good enough, and then you made a list of knots, what it's not. Mm -hmm. And if it's not those, okay, you're not defiling in those ways, but right. then what is it? What is it? What's right. the call to uh, like higher ground? Right. That, that's important to remember. Absolutely. Mm. Thank you for that. And it, uh, it's great because it comes right here at the end when we have to stop and we're gonna do the, um, the verse of the robe. We're gonna chant the verse of the robe, which I wanted to have at the end because it speaks to what we're immersed in, which many of you have spoken about, and what's possible, and how we harmonize ourselves. So let's let's engage this together, okay? Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Thank you, everyone for your presence and what you offered and what you, hopefully you received something. And uh, we'll, we'll continue. I'll continue. Please continue with me, Maria. Thank you so much, Flint. Thank you. And yes, I'll continue with you. <laughs> and thank you all so much for being here today from all over the world, from all the different sang sanghas, from the Cloud Templars, as Flint, Flint named it today, 
Um, so thank you all so much for being here and supporting myself and each other to continue to to wake up together. So thank you all so much. And if you'd like to make a contribution towards Appamada to Flint and to any of the teachers, then please do go to appamada.org forward slash contribute. And there you'll see an opportunity to offer Dana to all the teachers and to the facilities and programs that Appamada the Appamada offer and it really does support us to continue to offer what we do and your generosity is very appreciated so thank you all so much and if you'd like to continue to meet and share then please do please do just stay right where you are just go into gallery view and join myself and others um, on the virtual porch and uh, we'll continue for a further 30 minutes so thank you so much everybody thank you